Now, this is not the first time revival has happened at Asbury University. It dates back to 1905. They had one in 1908. They had one in 1921. They had one in 1950. They had one in 1958. They had one in 1970 and 1992. What began with a small group of college students began to attract people both near and far, so much so that they had to move the revival or the outpouring off of campus to Rupp Arena, which was about an hour away. Robert Coleman, who was now 94 and was a professor of evangelism there for 27 years, and he was there at the 1951 as well as the 1971, he spoke and said after the revival, everyone needs to follow Jesus and make disciples. Amen. Amen. Regarding the revival outpouring in Kentucky, or any place for that matter, we shouldn't make a tabernacle there because God is not limited to time and space. Amen. Amen. Now, as you know, one of the things the Lord has declared to us for 2023, that this is our year of what? Recovery, restoration, and what? And revival. Now, I had no idea how God had planned to work this thing because I thought revival was on the back end of it, but revival today is on the front end of it as following the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I want you to say this with me. I want you to understand, well, I'm going to say the title of my message. I'm going to speak from this subject. You have to drop the if to get to your then. You have to drop the if to get to your then. You're, as we come together, as we get to where we're going, you'll see why. So turn to with me first to Acts chapter 17. You need to drop your if to get to your then. Okay? This will come in a minute. Trust me. You need to drop the if to get to your then. Okay? Now, the book of Acts is a kingdom book. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God at the beginning of Acts in chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul proclaims the kingdom of God at the end of Acts 28, verses 30-31. That's crucial because the whole Bible wraps around this theme of the kingdom, of the kingdom agenda, which is the visible manifestation of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of your life. Okay? To have that rule reflected in and through the church, it must begin with revival. Amen. Okay? Acts chapter 17, verse 1 says, Now when they had passed through Apollonia, you know what that word says, I can't say it. And Apollonia, they came to, I had practiced that word too. <laughs> they, had came, they came to Thessalonica, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in to them, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. In other words, he spent three days with them, or three Sabbath days with them, and he talked to them out of the word. 
opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So any revival has to have Jesus. Amen. Okay? And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks and a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, envy, and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they, they drew Jason and a certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason has received, and these do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Now, let me start off by saying, revival is not an event. Revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of the believer. It's a spiritual reawakening out of dormancy or somebody being stagnant. In other words, dormancy means being asleep. A revival is getting reawakened. All right? The stagnation in the life of a believer, it encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God, an appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for his word and his church, a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility, a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. It's a reawakening of your spiritual self. To, to the things that matter to God, in other words. Amen? Amen. Amen? Revival invigorates and will deepen your faith as a believer by opening your eyes to truth in a fresh, new way. Yes. 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 Amen? Amen. It, re, it, will, it will open your eyes, your spiritual eyes that may have perhaps become dull because of the things that are happening to you and the things that are happening around you, it revealed the truth of God yes. in a fresh new way. Yes, 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 yes. Hmm. Amen. Amen. It generally involves the connotation of a fresh start with a clean slate. Yes. And it marks a new beginning or a renewed beginning of your life in the life of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Revival breaks the charm and the power of the world which blinds the eyes of men, women, boys, and girls and it generates both the will and power to live in the world but not of the world. Alright? And the results or the evidence of revival is changed lives. Mm. It's the evidence. 
revival. What does that do? It makes you move towards righteousness. Makes you move towards evangelism. It makes you move towards social justice because that will occur when there's a real revival. Believers are once again spending time in prayer, reading and obeying God's word. Believers began to powerfully use their spiritual gifts, and there is confession of sin and repentance. But before I go a little further, I need to read this chapter again, but I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, and it says, 17 verse 4 through 6 in the New Living Translation, it says, some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul, and they said this, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are disturbing our city too. Real revival would disturb the city. Why? Because it's expanding the kingdom of God. Amen. And the devil don't like that because he has blinded up people in the world with darkness and he wants people to stay in darkness and he does not want us to be revived. He wants us to stay dormant. He wants us to stay stagnant. He wants us to continue to be asleep. He does not want us to shake up the world. Amen. Like Muhammad Ali said, I shook up the world. Amen. Amen. Please note that this was so this revival was so explosive that it was as if it turned the world upside down. But the key is this: real revival requires wisdom to handle the explosiveness, because there has to be a continued focus on God to see His purpose fully accomplished. Now, this is some guidelines that you have to follow that we should follow. For revival. We need to follow the Holy Spirit. One. Two, we need not to try to control the revival. Three, allow the gifts of the Spirit to flow freely in the in our midst. Alright. Always compliment the experiential side with a systematic teaching of the Word of God. It needs to be teaching of the Word of God. And always focus the revival on God, not on the things that are happening. Alright? So we need to follow the Holy Spirit, resolve not to control it, allow the gifts of the Spirit to flow freely, and always teach the word of God. And always keep the focus of the revival, of, of, not of the revival, but of revival on God. 
In a genuine revival, we will need to worship God and glorify him as the initiator and the sustainer of the blessing and the source of wisdom and power to walk wisely in it. So let's go a little deeper. Revival, you write this down, revival is for all of us, but it must begin in individual hearts. Revival is for all of us, but it must begin in individual hearts. In other words, you need to drop the if to get to your then. Okay? So let's go to Second Chronicles. Y'all should have been there. You see how Drop the nuggets of revival, which is one of our foundation scriptures for this year, as a matter of fact. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You need to drop your if to get to your then. Even though revival is for all of us, there's something that we have to do individually. All right? Verse 14 says that, this, if my people, who are, which are, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal or restore their land. But you have to drop the if to get to the then. <laughs> Amen. You have to drop the if to get to your then. I believe if is the most powerful two-letter word in our language. <laughs> For example, if I would have. If I could have, I would do it if. When you insert the word if in front of whatever God told you to do, it will keep you from receiving what you need or are expecting from God. One of the means of if is uncertain possibilities. And you know, we know we like knowing if it's a sure thing, right? <laughs> we like knowing this. <laughs> we like knowing that that step is gonna hold me <laughs> when you take that step, right? Yes. We want we want to know if the chair is gonna hold us, yes. but yet we sit down on the chair without knowing that if it will or not, right? Yes. What we did, we have removed the if because we'll sit down in the chair not knowing whether or not it will hold us, right? Mm -hmm. hmm? When it comes to having faith in God, there can be no ifs. Amen. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 6 in the New King James Version, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And if you were keep reading this verse by verse until you get to verse 6, you will see these words by faith. All the way down through verse 6. Then when you get to verse 6, you will see these words. But without faith, it is impossible to please him who? God. For he who comes to God must believe that he what? Is. And not only that he is, he is a what? Rewarder of them 
that do what? Diligently what? That diligently seek him. You need to drop your if and get to your then. Drop means to cease. You need to get rid of it and just do it. Verse says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You take the if, God is saying, my people. <laughs> right? <laughs> which are called by my name shall do what? Humble themselves and do what? Pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then, right? Right? Revival begins in individual hearts and prayer closets. You hear me? Revival begins in individual hearts and prayer closets. In this hallmark passage, God is calling his people to pray. And I heard this put this way. Prayer is an earthly request for heavenly intervention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's an earthly request for heavenly intervention. It is the tools that you have been given as a believer in order to pull something down out of the invisible into the visible. From out of the heavenlies into the earthly. All right? From the intangible to make it what? established in eternity. It brings into time what has already been established from the foundations of the world into the earth realm. Alright? Prayer enacts God's hand in history like nothing else because prayer is our Relational communication with God. English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said, Oh, how foolish we must be if we do not live in habitual communion with Jesus. So prayer must be a habit. Hmm? A habitual communication. Now there are several key elements to determine that determine if your prayer will be effective. Number one is, you need to be his. See the first part of the verse says, if my people, right? If my people, before we can be his people, you have to be his person. Amen. Before we can be his people, you have to be his individual. Acts 4, 12, New Living says this, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that's talking about Jesus. There is no other person who can save you. There is no other way to God except through Jesus. Now, if you go into Chicago, there are many routes that can get you there. Mm -hmm. However, there is only one way 
that you can get to God, and that's through Jesus. John, Jesus said in John 14, 6, in the King James, I am the way, so you won't get lost. The truth, which I will never lie to you, and the life, which means I'll give you everlasting life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Then somebody asked me a question one time. Well, what am I saved from? <laughs> so let me put it where the goats can get it. You are delivered and set free from the bondage of sin and the fires of hell. <laughs> when you get saved, you are set free from the bondage of sin. Why? Because Jesus covers your sin with his blood. Yes. And then you are delivered from or saved from the fires of hell. Which means you won't go to hell. Amen? <laughs> but the good news is this. Everybody in the world is eligible to be saved. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in John 3, verse 16 through 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, thank God, should not perish, but have what? Next verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to what? Condemn the world. The church spends so much time trying to condemn the world. When the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn, he convicts. God does not condemn. And if you're around people that are always trying to condemn somebody for their lifestyle, that's ungodly. Why? Because God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You can't save somebody through condemnation. That's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. All we ought to do is open up the door. How do we do that? By telling them what Jesus did for us. Amen? When you are a believer, you have the right to approach God through your new covenant relationship with his son. Do you know, just let that land. When you are a believer, you have the right to approach God. It's your right, God-given right, to approach God through Jesus Christ. Jesus gives you that right. Mm. Almighty God, the everlasting Father, through his son, by his blood, we have the right to approach God. So before we can be his people, we need, you need, to be his person. It's not up to me. It's up to me to be a believer for myself. And it's up to you to be a believer for yourself. And then when believers come together, then it becomes we. Yes. Amen. Mm. Then we become his people. Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's keep reading. You need to drop your gift. In other words, you need to, the second, second one is this. You need to humble yourself. Mm -hmm. If my people which are called by my name shall do what? Humble, humble themselves. 
Humility can be defined as the absence of pride, just as darkness is the absence of light. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, you cannot become more humble by focusing on humility. Why? Because it will become a source of pride when you believe you have achieved humility. Scholar and writer C.S. Lewis describes humility not as thinking less of yourselves, less of ourselves, but as thinking of ourselves less. Humility, he describes humility not as thinking less of ourselves, but as thinking of ourselves less. The first step in humbling yourself is to challenge your motives for the things you do. Whenever you see that your actions are geared to elicit favorable opinions from others or Facebook likes or shares or clicks, you need to bring that to the Lord. Hmm? You don't have to say it out loud, just say out she self. That has to constantly be evaluated. The second step, and this is an important one, Evaluate your response when you are slighted, overlooked, or underappreciated. Evaluate your response when you are slighted, overlooked, or underappreciated. You need to admit to yourself and to God that the sting of self-pity you feel is pride demanding the feel to defend itself. Rather than give in to it, choose to embrace the opportunity to learn from it. Amen. 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 Yes. Prayer by its nature is an admission of your weaknesses and need. You need to pray something like this. Father, I'm hurt and angry right now because they left me out or didn't appreciate me for what I bring to the table. But thank you for this opportunity to deal with some areas of pride in my life that I wouldn't have otherwise noticed. I take comfort in knowing Jesus was overlooked, rejected, and misunderstood. Now this is one area, and I'll just be honest with you and everybody else, that I have to fight against. Not because I'm so much, but because I do a lot that people don't recognize and it's not me, it's God doing a lot through me that people don't often recognize, but it keeps me humble because I know it's about God's glory and not my own glory. So when it tries to sneak in to get me off kilter, I understand that I need to take it to God. God, you have to deal with me in this area right now. Because we have been culturally conditioned to want to be patted on the back. We have been culturally conditioned to want the class, to want the fans to be to be almost idolized. How do you know that? Well, who do you who do you watch on TV? We've been culturally conditioned to be about me, 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 I, 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 not him, him, him. Amen. Learning to be humble involves capturing prideful moments 
and bringing them to the Lord so those moments will not grow into pride. A prideful moment can grow into pride if you don't deal with it. I would rather humble myself than God humble me. <laughs> I don't know. I would rather have me humble me than God humble me. The humble shall humble themselves and do what? Pray. Next thing you need to do is seek God's face. It says, and seek my face and turn from their what? Wicked ways. When you, when you are seeking, when you seek his face, that means you are seeking his forgiveness and faith. Look at chapter, in the same chapter, verse 1. Sorry, verse 1. It says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house or temple. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord or the glorious presence of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Mm -hmm. Seems like that'd be a good place for the Lord's glory to be in is his house, right? right. <laughs> I ain't gonna y'all ain't gonna check me in the preaching there. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good. For his what? His mercy does what? Endures forever. The people were so moved by the glorious presence of God, they fell on their faces and they worshipped him. I read this on Wednesday during our prayer call, Isaiah 61-3. It says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen over you. Glory means the weightiness, that which is substantial or heavy. The glorious presence of the Lord is the tangible manifestation of his, of his spirit working in and amongst his people. Okay? Now, seeking God's face means much more than saying, thank you, Lord, for this food, though, although we should do that. Seeking God's face means much more than laying me down to sleep and I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You should do that, too. Prayer that moves God comes from a recognition that sin turns his face away from you and turns you away from him. Prayer that moves God comes from a recognition that you recognize that you turn that that what you do what you're doing is causing him to turn his face away from you, but then also that you are turning away from him. That's what sin does. We have a I don't know if we have the wrong idea, but sin makes you makes God turn his face from you. While at the same time, you don't realize and recognize that you are also turning your face from him. 
Amen. The most dangerous place in the world to be is out of the will of God. When you make God turn his face away from you, and you turn your face away from him, you are out of the will of God, which is the most dangerous, most vulnerable place to be in the world. Why? It opens you up for the attack of the enemy. Prayer that moves God approaches him on his terms. Prayer is not a process of negotiation. It requires seeking and accepting God's terms of reconciliation. Prayer is not a process of negotiating. You don't come to pray to God to negotiate with him. You come to God because you honor and worship him. Not to negotiate with him. You approach him because he is God the Father, the, the creator and sustainer of this world. He created you. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. You don't go there to negotiate with him as if you had <laughs> as if you could. <laughs> That's a source of pride. Mm, mm, mm. You accept God's terms of reconciliation. As I told you a few weeks ago, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. His glorious presence of God. So when you fall short of his glorious presence, you have turned his face away from you and your face away from him. And if you have turned your face away from him, how can you hear him? You may be able to hear him, but you can't see him. You don't got eyes in the back of your head. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. This is good news, though, because God invites us to seek his face. And what that means, he is open to us. God is, even when we sin against him, as long as you are on this earth and in time, God is open to you. Yes. Thank you, Lord. And that's the blessing of your confessing. Amen. Amen. Lastly, you need to do this. You need to turn from your wicked ways to get to your then. Turn from their wicked ways and then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and restore or heal their land. In other words, that's revival. Hmm. The idea of turning away is from something that displeases God and turning to something that pleases him. Repentance is a decision that results in a change of mind which in turn leads to a change of purpose and action. When you repent, it changes your purpose and your actions. And besides faith, which we read earlier, that pleases God, Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, 
love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? When you live with integrity in both your public and private life, when you show mercy to those who have wronged you, when you cling tightly to God's word and crave his presence, you will make choices that please God. Though you will never become perfect while living in this broken world, you can aim for perfection as you model yourself after Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, that God was well pleased with his son. And the more you resemble Jesus, the more you will please God. Amen. So I'm saying all that to say this. Corporate and individual agreement is a must for recovery, restoration, and revival in 2023. Corporate and individual agreement, which is prayer, is a must for recovery, restoration, and revival in 2023. And it all begins with you dropping the if. To get into your deal. And then we will hear from heaven. God will forgive our sin and He will heal our land. Amen. Drop the ear to get to your deal. Amen. Praise God. Stand to your feet. Revival. We're believing for it. Lord God, we're expecting it. But you have expectancy of us. First of all, we need to be your person. And if you don't know him in the pardon of your sins, today is a good day to get to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, he is the only way. The Bible says he's the way, the truth, and what? The lie. No one comes to the Father but by him. So you want to get, that's God's way of reconciliation. It's not a negotiation. That's his way of reconciliation. So if you don't know him today, receive him as your savior today. If you have walked away from him, get reawakened today. Yes. <laughs> and come back to him. He's open to you. He left the way open to you. How do you know that? You're here today. He didn't let you die last night or this morning. He gave you another opportunity in his mercy to get reconnected with him. Then if you're looking for a church home, join us here at Liberty. Become a part of the we. Amen. Amen. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the word that was spoken on today. Lord God, we ask you to help us to drop our ifs. Help us to drop our ifs, Lord, so that we can get to our then. You, you love us unconditionally. However, we have to take a step, which is a conditional step to you, God. So, Father, speak today. Speak today.